IMJ forgot anything else I was supposed to say. It's because we didn't What? Yeah, no, what should we say? Right off the rip. Yeah. I sure have a name. Kill that part. First name? I'm glad we noted that. Yeah, engage. Oh, okay, that's all. I'm Ronnie. That's crazy. And we are with our host. Jacqueline. Jackie, if you're nasty. Um, Today we're going to be discussing um, a burning topic on a few people's minds, at least ours. Um, Button question. Book banning in America um, has been sweeping the nation. It's the new trend. So we're going to kind of figure out what's going on with that, what the effects are, and maybe what we can do about it. Who knows? We'll get crazy. Um, in this podcast, we'll do some. We'll go over some interviews that we've gotten with some campus officials and uh, kind of give our two cents about it. Just some background. <clears throat> Starting in 2021, there's been a continuous effort to ban books in public schools and libraries. Most of the targeted books have to do with race, gender, and sexuality. Some examples being George Johnson's All Boys Aren't Blue and Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. Unlikely, <clears throat> unlike most book challenges in the past, whereas parents or other stakeholders and communities would engage teachers and school administrators in debate over a title, local groups have received support from, con- from conservative advocates organizations working to nationalize the efforts focused on certain subjects. Hundreds of books have been challenged, included high-profile examples like Mouse by Art Spoon. Spiegelman. Spiegelman. A New Kid by Jerry Craft. <clears throat> One of these examples, the most recent being, would have to be at Chaplin High School in South Carolina. Some students had alleged that a teacher made them feel ashamed to be Caucasian for assigning, excuse me, for possibly, no, I'll just say Ms. and or Mrs. Coates, Between the Worlds and Me an open letter to his son about police violence against black people that won the National Book Award in 2015. The American Library Association documented 1,269 demands of book censorship in 2022. It was the highest the organization had ever recorded since it began censorship data the more than 20 years prior. 2023 is currently on track to beat the 2022 record. I'm only half serious. I'm not serious about that. Nah, it's good. Uh, my name is Ronnie Dubois. Oh, and my name is Patrick Morgan. Um, <clears throat> how has the banning of books already impacted your selection on what's available for students? Well, that's a, a good question. And I think it's most important for me to state right away um, that we proactively campaign against and we we build structures against challenging books Mm -hmm. that we would collect or that we have collected Mm -hmm. so nothing directly prevents us from acquiring a text there is no book that we've ever chosen not to get for example at least since i've been here Mm -hmm. um for fear that there there might be an objection to it now Mm -hmm. I think the the biggest way that this impacts us is actually less what has happened mm-hmm. uh, and more with what you know what the potential dangers are. So there have been libraries 
in other places, not often academic libraries. Mm-hmm. Though examples of academic libraries running into trouble exist as well. Yeah, with the state funding. Uh, for, for Florida, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even here in Louisiana, Texas, you know, kind of it's concentrated in the South, but not just in the South. Yeah. States like Utah also have had trouble with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's come up in It happens everywhere, to yeah. be clear. Even, even my home state of Michigan. Um, but, you know, there, there, are, there are times when any institution that uh, is public-facing at all, mm-hmm. especially if it gets a significant amount of public funding, which we don't really, um, but yeah. especially in that case, not only, uh, where they're, uh, they're preemptively challenging books. You know, saying so. Here's a litmus test book, for example. Here's genderqueer. Would you buy the book, mm-hmm. genderqueer? We we have bought that book. This this is the most frequently banned book. Yeah. You know, I think last year might have been looking for Alaska. Um, you know, one thing I will say is that until about a year and a half ago, we weren't actively buying those kinds of frequently banned books. Whereas now we do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of one of our our outreach activities buying accessible popular fiction mm-hmm. it just happens that those are frequent More targets so. for bands yeah um, but you know frequent targets also are also other books that that are geared toward a primarily young or younger adult audience so other you know classic quote-unquote books mm-hmm. those are frequently on the challenge list and that tells you something where a lot of them come from but i think it's also important to keep in mind that it's a relatively small number of of people who are making these complaints mm-hmm. that, that in in any case even mm-hmm. in uh, places where there are a lot of uh, challenges to books relatively speaking like in New Orleans relatively close to home mm-hmm. one of the leaders in the United States in fact the location of the single most challenges the <laughs> site of most challenges in the United States for 2022 was New Orleans Jesus. in fact um, but even that, th- we're talking about a handful mm-hmm. of individuals responsible for making those challenges. Well, so our focus is always on, you know, we have a collection development policy, and part of that is uh, a proactive, we do not accept challenges mm-hmm. for reasons. You know, we, where we, lo- we have it set up so that we don't, we want people to know that challenging a book with us is a remarkably difficult enterprise. Mm-hmm. So, Fair, fair. Uh, what do you feel is the reason for most of the already like banned or like challenged books? Um, uh, it's uh, I, I could be there, there are a number of ways to answer this question. I don't think there's any way to get around the fact that a lot of the bans have to do with sexuality and uh, sensitivity on the part of certain people. Uh, that they want to be in, maintain a certain kind of control over what frequently people they view as their children mm-hmm. are able to access. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and that's not always the case. There, there are always other arguments made. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's possible that some of those adjacent arguments, um, you know, so a- along with sexuality, in themes of gender, gender identity, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, there books that have been been challenged 
have featured things as benign as uh, single curse words or evil single curse words um, you know uh, I forget single parent homes yeah. uh, mixed race household I mean it's books books get challenged it seems like when they do what a lot of literature and a lot of good journalism and a lot of good writing in general is supposed to do which mm-hmm. is it draws our attention to something that is often right in front of us that we've been ignoring. Noticed. You know, yeah. We haven't noticed or we haven't thought of in a certain way. And this is really... Um, why, you know, it's interesting to me. We talk about um, banning... I mean, there's, there are uh, rating systems for movies, of course, mm-hmm. and there are conversations that go around textbooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, we've, we all know there have been um, conversations about music and... You know, I come from the age where they started to put, ex- you know, parental advisory, explicit lyrics, warnings, on, yeah, on albums. Hmm. Um, and anyway, but, but I think now it's interesting to me that that we are focused so frequently on banned books, and I think that really goes to the nature of what literature, what the written word in particular, opens up. Mm-hmm. In terms of that's exactly like it's it's really it's it cradles the imagination in such a way because mm-hmm. it mimics it really allows you to bring someone along in a, a thought process. Mm-hmm. That's what a, a good book does, no matter whether it's telling you a story or just educating you about something that. No matter what, at happened. the end of the day, your imagination is being used in some form or fashion with it. Yes, and that's what enables them to get inside mm-hmm. in a way. You know, like music has its own ways into your soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, literature is very can be very subtle. You know, it's a great way to persuade mm-hmm. the long read. The slow read, the, the novel that lets you see a character in all of her complexity, mm-hmm. you know, um, and those kind of things—they're capable of changing. So I think often part of the answer to your question has to be that we talk about books because of the power that literature has for changing the way that people think about things. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, people who want to ban books that do discuss sexual themes openly mm-hmm. or they do discuss existential questions openly or they do discuss any real human phenomenon openly uh, they're always going to attract that kind of attention because these books by definition are capable of changing the way people think about things mm-hmm. so I give that to the people who want to ban books books are dangerous Books sure. can change your mind, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously, a book is not going to major turn power. someone gay, mm-hmm. right, to be, like, stupid about it. Mm-hmm. But, I, of course, a book very well could It'll enable open their mind person. to the knowledge of someone mm-hmm. being queer right. or gay or, in a space. Yeah, or give someone a vocabulary for them to talk about what their own thoughts and feelings are. Mm-hmm. Uh, books do do that. And I think that's that's what accounts for the the focus on books. It's the it's books are a nexus of those things, mm-hmm. that power, and that ability to comprehend. Yeah, and to communicate and to bring yeah. someone along to to change how they feel. Mm-hmm. So. Do you feel the results that were intended for these bannings and the current results are aligning? Um, well, do you mean uh, the, the results intended by those who implement book bans? 
Or do you do you mean like in our combating the mm. phenomenon of banned books? More so of do you feel that people who want to ban books mm-hmm. and like their goals, what they're saying their goals are and what their goals are in today's age are lining? Like what they said initially oh, and what it is today. Boy, you know, I think that in, in some cases, certainly, I, I think the problem with this is that if you, uh, this is partly, this is speculative, so this is not a great way <laughs> to go, but I got to say this because I'm mm-hmm. thinking it. You know, if you were to ask, I don't know, 200 people, say, why they're, 200 people who identify as being in support of removing a certain title from a certain library, say, mm-hmm. you'd probably get a mix. You know, you'd get a, a plurality of answers that focus maybe on one of the things that are well known about the book, but. The, the likelihood is that if you were to dig in, and I know that there have been some well-known examples of this recently, mm-hmm. of individuals challenged, why are you opposed to this particular book? Mm-hmm. You know? And frequently the individual hasn't read the book in question. It's they're talking about the ideas they've heard about a certain book. Or the ideas like the book would present yeah. to a crowd. So I, I don't... You know, I don't, I don't know what that means for the genuineness of those kind of movements in the first place. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if people always are. Well, I know for a fact that people are not always upfront about all of the reasons that go into why they're against something. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, I, I think the 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 thing that's most interesting, and to go back to the idea that often this is coming from the standpoint of people who want to control what uh, those that they consider minor to them, you know, mm-hmm. their kids or something, their students, uh, the, the, you know, wanting to focus on what they're not allowed to read is because of that access of, of control and exposure, mm-hmm. you know. So whether or not they're explicit about the reasons why they want the books banned you know, they're not going to come out maybe and say because I'm worried that my son is going to read this book and he's going to, in two weeks, announce that he's gay. Mm-hmm. Right? Someone might not say that, um, but they might say that they don't want sexual themes to be presented to their child. To children, you know, as yeah. if the, but that's code, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's there's always, always synonyms for what they're actually saying. Yes, and there are degrees of honesty. Mm-hmm. So I can talk about sexual themes, and what I and maybe what someone means by that is, you know, they're concealing an anti-gay bias mm-hmm. or an anti-trans bias or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they can hide behind this sort of general idea, like, nah, nobody. Don't you want to protect? Don't you want right. to preserve the innocence of? Mm-hmm. It's for um, the children. It's always for the children. Right, That's what it, and then children becomes kind of a movable category. Mm-hmm. Right? Are we talking about? Elementary school, middle school, high school. Are we talking about people who Young are in adults college, in college age? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and then there are there are, there are always aspects of this where you there are parents who feel they're and I, you know, they're, I, I know that for example my my father felt this way about helping me go to college that he enabled this. And then felt that it altered me in such a way that 
he was unhappy with the result, right? Like, it, from his standpoint, mm -hmm. ruined some aspects of my innocence, maybe, or turned me away from certain ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. And to those kinds of concerns, and this is, I think, especially important for us, like at a higher education library. Mm -hmm. uh, well, <laughs> that's the that's what we do. That's kind of what you know, we're that here is the for. entire point. Um, and uh, I think that goes back to the idea of what, what literature, what good writing, mm -hmm. and of course not just writing, but what writing is uniquely capable of doing, or perhaps especially capable, from my standpoint, mm -hmm. of doing, of really giving you time and language to go through a full-on thought process. Mm -hmm. you know, like a good writer brings you along on their thought process and you then change a little bit as you internalize what, what you're they're doing. trying to convey. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, the, that's probably the only thing that makes someone successful. I'm not saying mm -hmm. good, right, but like successful writing. You know, do you, do you yeah. get that across? You know? Are you able to have the reader tell near exact what you're basically literally putting down? Yeah, but so for, for that reason, down. books are, are threatening. Mm -hmm. You know, there's um, there's this. Well, okay, there. You know, um, the terracotta, the famous terracotta figurines from China. Mm -hmm. uh, they're from the, this this guy known as the Qin Emperor, spelled Q I N in, hmm. in Romanized alphabet, but mm -hmm. pronounced Qin. And he's also the same emperor who didn't really have a dynasty, it was just him, and then upon his death it kind of all fell apart. <laughs> but he's also famous for um, having really invested in the, what eventually became the, the wall, the Great Wall of China, <laughs> which in his day was really just kind of a series of outposts. Mm -hmm. But anyway, when he became emperor, the two things that he did, and I, I'll be honest, the, the best way to understand what I'm saying is actually not not to look at the history itself, but to read an essay by Borges mm -hmm. called The Wall and the Books about this guy. <laughs> because in addition to building the wall, commissioning this enormous tomb with these lifelike figures that mm -hmm. we're still unearthing today. Do you, I, mean, this thing I know is, a little is bit like of under it. under a huge dome. They're still unearthing They're it. still unearthing it. Um, so, but anyway, he also gathered all the books that he could in China and burnt them. And uh, this is fascinating partly because he was not exceptional. Lots and lots of Chinese emperors in transitional periods between uh, authorities mm -hmm. did the same thing. Mm -hmm. To the point where just this weekend um, I, I had a friend over to the house. Well, Matt Blasey from English came over and mm -hmm. a friend of his came over. And she was talking about some friends of hers who had lived in China mm -hmm. who, you know, They'll go out in the backyard and dig around, and sometimes you find burnt remnants of books. Weirdest thing. Not what? kidding. And pottery that's been broken and things that have just been destroyed. Right. <laughs> so this uh, sort of tradition of upheaval of getting rid of things. But one of the points that Borges makes is that building a wall, burning books, mm -hmm. are, are kindred phenomena. They're, they're similar processes because they both have to do with separation, Mm -hmm. Right, and, and uh, a break with the outside and what comes before in a certain attempt to establish something like an absolute control. Yeah. Yes. So the world begins with me, 
that, and it ends with me too, mm-hmm. right? Just like history, the, there's no history before. Um, anyway, so I think that there is an interesting parallel, and this is why I went into this long devigation. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. But there is an interesting parallel between the mindset that would ban books, the mindset that would burn books, mm-hmm. the mindset that builds walls. Uh, you are keeping things at bay, mm-hmm. or you're you're rather you're attempting to keep things at bay, but those things are coming for you. Uh, great literature, not even great literature. Like mm-hmm. I said, any good writing enables that clearly. Mm-hmm. You know, you recognize that, and that's the fear of, of the banned book. True. You know that. Uh, um. You kind of already answered this, but might as well ask. Have you? Well, how do you feel the youth of today will be impacted on these changes to their reading curriculum? Oh, well, you know, um, did I talk at all about banned books much when I was um, a youth? Uh, the answer is no. No, I did not. Uh, my parents did not ban books, but I also, I definitely grew up taking it for granted that there were certain things I just should not read. That's remarkable for me to think of, that I was that person. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I know nothing is permanent. I know there is no absolute. I know that the fact that we talk about banned books um, is the perfect counterpoint to what you see happening, which is that increasingly there are not lots of people, but vocal minorities of people who want to make it's like a books, federal. the proxy, yeah. you know, for larger, I guess, cultural questions. You know, mm-hmm. and so I think, I think eventually that that does go away. I, th- I feel like eventually these kinds of, what, let me say this. One thing that concerns me is that I did notice this time around. So as a librarian, I've been recognizing banned books officially. Mm-hmm variously successfully for at least, what, 15 years? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, and this was the first year that I've really noticed lots of somewhat coordinated backlash to the idea of banned books week. Like, I haven't noticed this before, but specifically it took this form. It took the form of, there is no banned books crisis. What? Come on. Nobody's banning books. You can go buy all the... You can I go buy genderqueer right now. It's fine. Nobody's banning it. Which, okay. But of course, these things are hyper, 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 hyper local mm-hmm. phenomena. Which means, it, you know the, the old saying, like, um, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Or I think I might be but- butchering it. It may be... I haven't heard it, but uh, I get what it's saying. You know, the, the idea that Okay, you, you can't you can't just look at everything in the aggregate and say, well, okay, most places I can go. Most places are okay. So looking for Alaska okay. right now, but yeah. there are a few places I can't go find it. Right, a few libraries where it's not there and intentionally not there. You mm-hmm. know, those are the things to focus on. So, but anyway, the point is that the idea that there is no banned books problem, while we know for a fact that there are movements dedicated at the very 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 hyper local level mm-hmm. uh, that should concern us because we saw the same thing happening roughly oh 20 years ago with state legislatures um, on the uh, political electoral side of things 
I don't want to get into the political weeds here, but yeah. you know, when you talk about the rise of things like the Tea Party, mm-hmm. uh, the House Freedom Caucus, um, congressional representatives now embodied by folks like Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, mm-hmm. um, policies that enable a non-representative, essentially minority elected in terms of the number of people who vote for them, mm-hmm. you know, government from each state begins with gerrymandered congressional districts. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are set by state legislatures. And that's why if you go back 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, and you see these hyper-conservative folks running for these really low-level seats, Mm -hmm. making these important decisions, again, hyper-local. That's where it happens. So my answer to that, the future and how this impacts, is local, local, local. Mm-hmm. Right, that's where that's where the magic happens, because that's that is how you get that national scope. Right, book bans happen locally. Mm-hmm. Censorship happens locally. We're we're often just like you know real election fraud too, local phenomenon. So um, anyway, I, I think young people today are going to have to increasingly recognize that mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily have the same luxury of being able to be complacent. you got to take an active role in making sure that your information flows remain unobstructed, Mm -hmm. basically. Take action so that you're actually educated, in a sense. Or not so much like actually educated, but like educated to as much as you would want to know. Yes. In a sense. Precisely. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Patrick. I'm glad I got to ask you these. Yeah, I Shoot. hope uh, it does something for you. I don't... <laughs> I mean, honestly, this... All right, um, thanks for that context, Ronnie. Um, so I just wanted to ask you all a little bit, since hearing a bit of that interview, um, he says he's actively building structures against banning books. As students yourselves, how is this affecting you? How does What does this mean to you guys? Well, as someone who works in the library, it personally affects me. Well, it affects me a bit, especially with how much we're able to actually intake for the library. I personally see a lot of it. Like, there's a whole entire cart that's, I think, currently still there. I'm not 100% sure. That shows the banned books within just our state alone, mm-hmm. let alone the country. So. Yeah. So he's actively making them like available mm-hmm. to He's actively showing them and displaying them to show that even if a book were to be challenged, it'd most likely get I guess you'd say say shot down uh-huh. pretty quickly. So at least by by certain area. Yeah. Because that is definitely something that we need to to make very clear that this is the centenary library, not public at all. Right. Um, because public libraries cannot, like, if it's going, if a book is going to be challenged, it's going through more so uh, people with like police kind of power. Um, the the jury is usually the police jury. Hmm. We can correct me on that, but um, instead of just. Patrick Morgan. <laughs> right. 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 Um, he also uh, brought up a specific book, Gender Queer, a memoir book by Maya. 
Kobabe. Kobabe, thank you. Um, it's a memoir and a graphic memoir, um, and it recounts Kobabe's journey from adolescence to adulthood and the author's exploration of gender identity and sexuality, ultimately identifying as being outside of the gender binary. How does seeing a part of yourself in these books affect you, and what are the feelings tied to the book bands as far as Okay, if you don't mind, I would love to hear a little bit about what the experience is of seeing books that might reflect yourself or bits of your identity not being on shelves anymore. I mostly get frustrated knowing that kids can't see themselves in books because I feel like kids need to see themselves the most because, you know, I'm, you know, 20-something, it's... It doesn't affect me as much. I definitely look for books that I can see myself in, of course, but I just think about children the most because I feel like they're the ones that are being told what they can and can't read with no choice, and I don't exactly face that problem because uh, I'm an adult. <laughs> I can do what I want. <laughs> um, I'd have to say it... I didn't so much see myself in the books, I more so just like saw a way, well books as a way to escape as a kid. So it's more so of, I was able to put myself in a different mindset and the fact that kids won't be able to do that, put themselves in a different person's shoes. You know how that kind of saying goes with walking a mile in someone else's shoes. It's more so of that idea. They can't do that so they can't really think of anyone else's possible reasoning towards something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, he also mentions outreach as a campus community. Can you talk a little bit about that, Ronnie? Of course. I am the VP of outreach, the vice president, and basically it's the queer safe space on campus. Mainly we try to raise awareness on like things that are going on currently within legislature of like Shreveport. We haven't been very active this year, but we're trying to get better at that. I can say though last year we were pretty active and we even tried having, well, we had a couple events going and we also tried having a drag show even on campus, mm -hmm. but basically we're the safe space on campus and we try to promote and raise awareness mm -hmm. on what's going. That's so important. Um, so we're talking about books being banned, and we spoke pretty briefly about which books are being banned. But Gage, I know you've got some you got some numbers for us and some research. Yeah, I do. Um, we obviously talked about Moss. Um, that's the the Holocaust uh, book documenting you know what happened across the Holocaust. It's a very important thing to talk about, um, as well as the gender queer and things like um, Angela Davis's autobiography. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can see, you know, a lot of targeting of Black and LGBTQ ideas and all that. Over the 2022 and, tw uh, and 20 2021 and 2022 school year, there were 2,532 books banned across the United States. This was somewhere around um, a th just over 1,000 individual titles that were affected and most of these were in texas florida tennessee and pennsylvania 
um, a lot of um, young adult books as well as books for people in you know the middle grades uh, were being banned. Majority being fiction books. Uh, all of these or most of these banned under this guise of um, you know parents' rights to education um, by to name a few, uh, Moms for Liberty, U.S. Parents Involved in Education, and No Left Turn in Education. But a lot of them targeted ideas like critical race theory um, and, like I said, LGBT material uh, that, you know, could expose children to these ideas. Thank you. That's a really good insight. Um, we have another interview, our lovely Dr. JP. Yeah. And my first question would be, since these book bans are to protect children, um, do you think banning books helps or hinders you as a parent raising your child? This is a conversation that we actually have quite a lot in our house on just like mm -hmm. the household level. Um, mm -hmm. So it, maybe I can start there and then expand it. out. Um, my husband is an avid listener uh, to audiobooks. Oh, I see. And he... Uh, was listening to um, The Martian mm -hmm. uh, in the car one day uh, and I was in the car and falling asleep because audiobooks put me to sleep. Yeah. Um, but um, my my kid was listening and we kind of didn't realize he was paying attention. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband went to turn off the book and my son, whose name is Henry, he's eight, goes, mm -hmm. um, hey, I was listening to that. <laughs> And so we, we realized, like, uh, you know, that at that point in the novel, um, you know, the, the, the guy who's stuck on Mars, sorry for spoilers, has, been, has, been, uh, <laughs> has been, I mean, you know, has been talking about, like, some pretty, like, pretty grown-up topics, you mm -hmm. know, um, and um, using language that, you know, a, you wouldn't want a seven-year-old, eight-year-old to use at school. Yeah. Um, and I was, I felt... A little bit like, oh, we need to be careful, right? Um, and my husband was like, oh, okay. And he pushed play again, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So this is this has been a thing that's continued. Um, they started listening to um, a different a different book by the by the same author, Project Hail Mary, mm -hmm. um, which is even more, you know, uh, not and, child friendly. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And and really, you know, um, themes that you wouldn't expect a seven or eight year old to connect with either yeah. in the way that the adult audience of the book does, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, and my my son loves that book, and indeed took the AR test for the book and got a, good for him <laughs> racked up a bunch of points. Right? Yeah, um, I and I was like, you know, I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, he, my son loves to read mm -hmm. and I mean, big surprise, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my, my son loves to read, um, but he does not love to read books that are aimed toward his age group. Yeah. Um, he finds, with some exceptions, he loves yeah. Amelia Bedelia. Right. Um, and fair enough. <laughs> you know, um, he, he loves, he loves the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Um, he, um, he likes, um, the Rick Riordan books, the Percy Jackson books. Right. Yeah. Um, he 
He likes those. Um, and those are more age appropriate, I guess. They're they're more yeah. age appropriate, but I'd still say they're they're older than you know eight years old. Yeah, yeah. I mean maybe not maybe not Amelia Bedelia, right? Not, maybe uh, yeah, maybe but, not, but, but yeah. Um, but um, but you know he's um, he's he's just not as interested in the the you know diary of a wimpy kid. Yeah, like, he could care less. You know? <laughs> um, and so he connects with themes that are a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's an only child and he's got an English professor for a mom and a, and a dad who listens to books out loud in the house all the time. Right. Yeah. He's just, he's absorbing what's around him. Um, but we do think like, uh, um, my, my husband came to me recently about a book that he wasn't so sure about cause it's full of cuss words. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's like, it's, it's got a lot of cussing even for a book that I would listen to with him. Yeah. And so I just wanted to kind of check with you. Um, and, you know, we've, we've talked with our son about appropriate language for school and what's appropriate around his grandparents and what's okay at home if he's mad or whatever. And, yeah. You know, he has a good understanding of that because we talked to him about what's appropriate and where. Mm-hmm. And so um, I said, you know, I'll, I haven't read the book. I'll leave it up to you. And they're listening to it in my the reason this is on my mind is Henry came to me yesterday and said, mom, mom, we're reading this book where the cats can type and the dolphins talk. And wow. he didn't bring up the fact that the, the dolphins cuss like sailors at oh. all. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but um, he just, he doesn't even notice. Yeah. Um, so all of that to say, you know, um, I want, what I want most for my child is for him to be able to read and for him to be able to find himself in books. And we have not come across an outside of our house boundary that hasn't pinched upon that yet. Um, I do worry though that that could happen. Um, and there's nothing that makes him want to read a thing more than being told that's not appropriate for you. Um, but, um, and that's a maybe different topic, but, um, uh, I, it is, it is my policy basically to, to give him access and to decide with him because he is indeed a whole person. Yeah. What he feels comfortable with and what he would like to explore and know more about. Yeah. And do you think that's going to be like hindered because of the current, like, law being passed um mostly in the future because it sounds like you're reading them together in the first place so Mm -hmm. like in the future if he was to go to the library and want to grab something without you guys there like Mm -hmm. yeah do you think he'd be hindered by that (laughs) i mean i can i can see how he how he might be um yeah and um i i i have also told him you know like you we we read together now, yeah. right? But but also he's allowed to choose things and read them on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I I ask that he does not hide things from me if I ask, right? Um, some for a while he wasn't allowed YouTube, oh, for yeah. instance, right? Because you know YouTube can be a place where you get to a you get somewhere without really meaning to be there yeah. and it can be difficult to tell what's real and what isn't. And... It's a rabbit hole of rabbit holes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, and I can, and I can see somebody can say, you know, like, well, the library is that way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but the library is not that way. Librarians are professionals 
who curate collections, you know? Yeah, they're curated and they're, like, I think most importantly is the fact that they are definitely very highly edited. Like, all of these books... They've all been through a process. They've all been through a process of being published before. Yeah. In in comparison to the internet, where literally any information is accessible at any time <laughs> right and and indeed right although i suppose that this could happen at a library like a book user could yeah. splice an approved co- you know collection item with something that would be less than savory yeah right? um like inserting passages of pornography into oh. a child's book whatever right yeah. um and that's what was happening at that point <clears throat> that we my husband and i made the decision like okay we're not doing youtube for a little while mm-hmm is um, that my my son had been watching a video that was supposed to be just a video for a kid that he would have wanted to watch, and then there was, like, a very scary thing that happened in the middle of the uh, video, right? And so we were like, okay, this is not a thing that we know how to even begin to regulate at this yeah. point. And so we just shut it down. Um, I would let him loose in a library. Yeah. I would not let him loose in the wild, wild west of the internet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's the difference, right? Like, mm-hmm. there, there are multiple layers of professionals in whom I trust because they have credentials and education. Yes. Right? Um, and, and indeed, like, professional standards, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, as a parent, feel I can trust them and therefore... My my son is safe in a library. Yeah. No matter what he picks up to read. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's what I would say about that. Yeah. Um. Now on to like his education. Do you feel sure. like it's? Do you feel like it's being rounded out, or do you feel confident that it's being rounded out in relation to these book bans? In because. There has been an influx of, like, things being challenged, like, To Kill a Mockingbird and stuff like that. Mostly to do with race. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like he's going to get a rounded out education through the public school system because of these things? Um, (laughs) uh, We're we're only in third grade so far. That's fair. (laughs) So so we're um, we're not to the point yet that the things he is reading are books that are not already like written by curriculum writers right um for the most part he started reading this year um a unit like he's 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 at um ac steer Mm. in town and um they're doing a unit in the third grade on cajun folk tales and um there are this is gonna sound terrible Uh there there are some things i would have preferred he had not read fair enough (laughs) but um but that and that's because that's because of my own sensibilities about Mm -hmm. um race and gender and you know um and so we we end up doing a lot of contextualizing Mm. at my house right um when in kindergarten he learned about Thanksgiving, we talked about Thanksgiving at yeah. home, right? Um, and when he, you know, did art and again in, in, in a different place, I want to be clear, this was not this was not in Louisiana or oh, yeah. here. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, he did some art that was like you know like pretty 
happy about like Christopher Columbus. Oh, I see. We, we have a conversation, <laughs> right? About, um, you know, it was not just he got in a boat and went somewhere. There, there yeah. were people, you know, that we should talk about. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, the, there, there are things that, you know, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm being a little facetious when I say mm-hmm. I wish he hadn't read. Right. <laughs> But I mean, indeed that we needed to talk about yeah. and contextualize, right? Yeah, so um, you're having to do, like, a lot of contextualizing at home. Yeah, yeah. And I and I can see that, you know, without diverse voices mm-hmm. threaded through a curriculum, especially in the face of something like a book ban, mm-hmm. right, um, that that job would become far more mine mm. But I already teach my kid a lot. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and again, you know, I would like to trust the professional credentialed folks who are entrusted with my child's education to do a good job of that. Mm-hmm. It is also incumbent upon me to teach my child. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, but I trust his teachers more or less. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, and and they're more they're more qualified to do what they're doing with him right now than I am. I don't have the qualification to teach elementary yeah. education. That's fair. <laughs> you know, um, and so if they say these are the folk tales and these are the things we're learning about them, I go with that, you know, and mm-hmm. then we talk a little at home as well. Um, where I worry is not when teachers are choosing Mm -hmm. where I worry is when politicians are choosing yes or uncredentialed citizens are choosing and then pushing politicians to choose yeah about what my child learns and taking the choices away from the credentialed professional librarians and teachers who have been entrusted with those processes previously yeah that's where I start to worry about it the education yeah not that I don't think teachers are resilient and resourceful and can figure out ways to teach important lessons without a, one particular book, right? There's no one particular book that holds, you know, the key to all no. knowledge about race or sex or gender or whatever, right? Um, we learn about that through a constellation of texts. But I do think that taking say you know to kill a mockingbird just to use that example out of the curriculum um even if it's just that one it's never just that one no and it would go further and it sends a larger message Mm. that we do not trust the credentialed and professional people yeah yeah that's i don't know if that answers you but no it does that that works fine (laughs) um now, just a little bit as you as a professor, do you have, like, concerns about any of your curriculum being cut <laughs> in, the, in the future because of books being banned? Um, I mean, there, there, are a couple, there are a couple of ways that we could, like, talk about that. Um, yeah. uh, I think that, in general, college professors enjoy a degree of academic freedom. Mm-hmm that elementary and secondary educators don't always enjoy. Yeah. Um, and 
in part that's because um, even at like big state schools, like public institutions, right? Where like I, I used to work in Tennessee at a big state school <laughs> and um, I taught a class that was supposed to be hitting the same benchmarks as the same class at many other places across the state, right? Um, I still had the freedom within my own classroom to choose text and hit those benchmarks in the way that I saw fit. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to conform to like, like every third grader, I think in Louisiana, for instance, reads that does the Cajun folktales unit. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's just when you do it. Right. Um, (laughs) I probably did. Yeah. 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 But even, um, even, you know, at a large state institution where the class is the same, the learning objectives are the same, even the material on the syllabus might be the same. We, we tend to have freedom within the class to do what we want and to yeah. assess how we want and things like that. Um, I am even less worried maybe being at a small liberal arts college, oh, a yeah. private institution, right? Yeah. Um, with the caveat being that even private institutions receive state and federal funds, Yeah. right? Um, and... Professors get put on things like watch lists, and <laughs> um, and this just happened at Arizona State University. There's a professor in the English department there who was on this watch list and has been harassed online, and then that harassment escalated to being done in person, and this is all just within the past couple weeks, and um, the president of the university has said, like, you know, we unequivocally support this person or faculty member mm-hmm. right and has drawn a line and said you know you will not interfere you outside uncredentialed right people um with the education that our students receive mm-hmm. right um and just to clarify it was a watch list for like they were teaching specific things yeah like... yeah and i and i think and i think it was related to like lgbtqia oh, kinds of stuff um it might have been race, and I can I can find that yeah info for you. No, you're fine. Um, but um, uh, I I was I I read this statement. It was published online. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. Um, like academic social media. Yeah, no, you're good. No, <laughs> um, but um, uh, I, I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, I. I I think I think that the professor I'm talking about teaches classes in gender and sexuality and literature. Oh, I see. Um, and people don't always like that. No, you know, um, and you're allowed not to like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know the but, the difference at college is you know like you're allowed not to take that class. Yeah, right. Like, um, there's only one class at Centenary that every person is required to take. Mm-hmm. We keep it pr- fairly standard, but indeed there are variants in the academic freedom of the, you know, not variants yeah. in the academic freedom, but variants in the way that people teach it because yeah. of academic freedom. Um, otherwise, if I'm teaching a class on like sex and gender and poetry, people are very free not to take that class. They can take yeah. something else. Um, and so I'm less worried, like to get back to what you actually asked, I'm, I'm, no, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm less worried about how book bans and politically motivated lists yeah. um, might impact 
my own teaching and my ability to educate my students. Yeah. Um, however, I, I do harbor a concern, let's say, yeah. that, um, that increasing influence mm-hmm. on um, certain hot-button issues... Um, might have an effect on things like um, the amount of money that institutions receive, right? And mm-hmm. therefore on the ability of institutions to retain faculty and students and things like that. Um, and so that is, I'm not worried about being able to teach what I want to teach. Yeah. I'm worried about the effect that teaching what I want to teach might have. On the institution. If I get on a list. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm, you know, it, it's worth saying also that I'm, I'm pre-tenure. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I am protected in many ways, but not the most protected. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. Jay, you, you did that interview. Can you talk a little bit about um, why we approached her specifically for this interview? Well, I wanted to approach her mostly as a parent um, with a child currently in the public school system. And I think it's really important a lot of the stuff she says about like, I mean, she's also a professor at Centenary. Like she teaches English, uh, mostly like history within English. Um, And I think it's just really important to keep in mind that not every single one of these parents is, you know, I'd say a lot of parents aren't that excited to know that their kids won't be getting access to books that would otherwise be exciting or interest them. Um, And it also puts a lot of work on the parents to fill in some gaps at times. Um, And that's that's sometimes not really feasible or if you're filling in the gaps, if you have to fill in the gaps, then they're not getting a full rounded education on their own. And that is worrying. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. JP kind of spoke about how with a lot of things you might need to provide context, you might need to answer additional questions as a parent. And that's just what, Mm-hmm. comes with the the job description. Um, and so I think what the point that we're making here is that by denying children um, the ability to go and seek those sources to have those questions, we're mm-hmm. doing them a disservice. Yeah. Right. That's really great. Um, do you want to talk any more about um, kind of the history and the historical effects of what banning books has done in the past because it's a a new phenomenon, right? Yeah, I mean, Fahrenheit 451. (laughs) Um, I mean, book bans just limit the range of ideas available to students and takes away resources from parents to teach their children and what they feel is important Um, because not every parent can fill in the gaps by themselves. Uh, Sometimes they just need to hand them a book and say go. (laughs) Um, 
But history has shown that banning can limit students' exposure to different perspectives, critical thinking, and hinder their understanding of important societal issues. And because of that, it creates a society further divided on issues due to just straight ignorance of it. It's not necessarily that people are getting like dumber or anything. It's just that they literally cannot access these things in their formative years. Um, and children are naturally curious and search the internet instead. <laughs> and it's an unedited and uncensored tool. Um, but overall, what banning books does is it hinders anyone that wants to write to have their selves and their stories known and being able to give children an opportunity to see themselves in books. It hinders their freedom of speech rather than protecting children more than anything. Right. Right. That's a really good point. And, um, to kind of reiterate the point that you made and the point that Dr. JP made, and I think that one that we can speak personally to, um, about the difference between a library for information and YouTube and the internet. Yes. I think that, um, if y'all could maybe talk about your experiences online and as just a curious kid and maybe you would have rather had been in a book, you yeah. know. I wish I was more, like, I say this as an English major, I wish I was more book savvy. <laughs> like, I, I got all of my information from, you know, um, I mean, this could be a whole different conversation, but I, I will try not to go too far, but I got most of my information from, like, story-based video games and that's basically like in a way like books um so whatever it's from that perspective though that that brings me straight over to the internet to get more content and whenever you go to the internet for more content you're going to get into rabbit holes and rabbit holes lead to just learning things you didn't want to know <laughs> this is true. Absolutely. I wish that I, I was more in a library as yeah. a kid. Obviously, I was a big reader, um, and it played a big role. But once I got into probably middle school, I was just let loose on the internet. And I've seen so many things. <laughs> the drama. I agree with that entirely. Saying at least there has been way too many late nights where I've just stayed up not so much hunched over because I was in choir, so I kind of had slightly perfect, well, not perfect, but decent posture for a bit. Yes. But just slaving over a screen for no good reason due to the fact of I was just intrigued about what I was learning. Now, I shouldn't have been learning any of this. Seeing videos of certain things shouldn't be seen, especially online at that age. Guess where you're but, not going to find it as a library. <laughs> exactly. You're not going to find that in a book. And I think that um, censorship and things can only go so far um, as, as far as pushing children instead of from the public library more into the darker recesses of the internet to find the information that they are naturally curious about. I think that maybe the what we can kind of come to a consensus of is that what we should be teaching children is media literacy as well as discretion um, and being there to answer questions when they come up to the best of our abilities. Um, do we kind of 
being actively in your child's life to see what they're reading and answer they are curious about yeah. kind of. And, and these bands kind of have the opposite effect that they want them to um, on top of kind of hindering children's ability to think and ask questions, which that's so important. It also makes them curious about these things that they want to keep them away from. You know, they see, oh, I can't read this book. Why? Yeah, yeah. that's definitely what my first inclination was as a kid. I was a why kid for sure, and I still yeah. am. Yeah. Um, but that's a really good point, Gage. Um, anyway, um, how, so... Look up on the internet, you're probably going to get a news story, and news stories are not great for children either. Right. Because, frankly, especially nowadays, there's a lot of like influence. Not it's not unbiased media anymore. Mm -hmm. No, it's not unbiased, and also media is very often wanting to sell you something, and what sells is. Horrific events. <laughs> it's one of two things. It's either good things in the morning, because you don't want to wake up hearing bad stuff. You want to wake up to puppies and yeah. happy things. Or late night where you're watching crime sprees yeah. and or late night chases of trucks barreling through highways. It's just that kind of sensationalization effect. And so even um, well-intended parents who just want the best for their kid yeah. and want to be able to protect them and keep them innocent as long as they can these things can kind of lead to these pipelines of It'll... just of hate and hatred and demonizing otherwise good upstanding citizens um either that or it could lead to like a basically like a shotgun effect where it's like they're holding in that much curiosity once they get let loose they're gonna explode yeah. in a sense they're gonna go everywhere they want and whatever they want and that's the thing slightly dangerous yeah I think the biggest thing. if your kid asks a question that is your chance to lead them down a like a, a route that is more comprehensible than them looking for themselves um and shooting down that curiosity at any point, they're they're not going to ask questions anymore, and they will just find it on their own. And I think um, another thing that you know, I'm glad that I was able to have parents that answer questions for me mm -hmm. and provided these books. But I also had quite a good deal of teachers that would foster those curiosities and were able to point me to books and point me to resources. And I think by kind of having these broad sweeps, especially in public school, where they're cracking down on critical race theory and you're not able to talk about your personal life if your partner is a certain gender that's the same as yours or not able to do all of these things that are just human. We're denying children um, the ability to have a, a person in their life that they trust, that they can go to, that they know, um, and ask questions if they don't have someone that they can ask questions at home. Um, and so there's just a lot of pitfalls in what can seem on the outside a very well-intended effort of like protecting the children and keeping pornography out of the hands of elementary schoolers. No one wants that. 
you know, no one wants... pushing for that. No. no. Um, and just keeping in mind whenever people see these sensationalized headlines of, oh, well, people are trying to allow for this lewd material. They're trying to groom your children. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's like, bear in mind who's saying that and why they're saying that and who's on the other side. Because um, I'm... I'm <laughs> if you if you just go search, it's a simple Google search. Not you won't find much information, but it'll basically prove that, or it'll show that there hasn't been many people in that demographic doing what they're saying. Right. Um, mostly the adverse, that's, but that's my opinion. <laughs> that's, yeah, I don't know too many dragons who wouldn't like children, so. But, um, but whatever. Um, and I think that it's nice to hear these professionals in their field kind of talk about the effects of what's been going on and feel heard as students as well as former curious kids, um, and still curious kids, <laughs> you know? Um, so let us have our, let us have our books. Let us read. Let us learn. Let us grow. Um, Better than being on the internet. Mm -hmm. Do you really want us having more screen time? <laughs> yeah. As Gen Z, please. <laughs> no more iPad kids. No more iPad kids. Yeah. So, um...